One of my uh, brothers uh, used to live in Florida. Uh, this is about, I guess, about 25 years ago. He lived there for a couple of years. So uh, I was visiting him one winter for a couple of days, and um, one of those days I went to uh, I went walk to the beach, and I was uh, on my way, and I uh, had to cross over this. I guess it was the uh, the inter one of the intercoastal bridges. It's a little bit like you know Atlantic Beach Bridge. Um, so I was walking over it, and there's a whole bunch of fishermen, or these kind of old guys, just sitting, uh, leaning over the side of the, the bridge, um, fishing. And uh, one of them, as I kind of walked by, kind of he's looking at me, and uh, kind of gave each other a, a nod. I was kind of thinking maybe I knew him or something, but I didn't think I did. And he says to me, uh, you're from New York. And I said, yeah, I, I am. Like, I think, like, how do you know I'm from New York? Uh, and I, I, I guess I said that. And then he, uh, he pointed to the hat I was wearing, which was a, a Met hat. So uh, I go, oh, yeah, yeah, I am. I am from, Met, uh, I am from New York. Uh, and he asked me where. He was, from, uh, he was from Brooklyn. I told him my parents were born in Brooklyn. And he wanted to know right away what parish, uh, parishes they were from. I told him. And that just kind of started a conversation. He was very much, very much wanted to talk about yesterday and uh, home. Uh, he was retired now, and his wife had died. And he just sounded like kind of a, kind of lonely, I guess, and very much nostalgic. Uh, and I guess meeting somebody, although half of Florida seems to be from New York anyway, but I guess seeing somebody he didn't know and just kind of got the conversation going. Um, anyway, we talked for maybe a, a, a minute or two, and that was it, and I was... Yeah, see you. Take you know. I'll see you later. <laughs> I was kind of moving on, heading to the beach, and as I'm walking away, he then calls back and he goes, uh, "Your hat." He says, "Do you, do you know how um, when the Mets began in the 60s, Did you know how they, how and why they designed the hat, the uniform, the way they did? You know the the look and the color and so on. And I, I said, to, I did know actually. I did know why they did it the way they did it. But I I knew this old guy wanted to tell me. <laughs> So I said, no. I said, I, I, don't, I didn't know. Um, and he uh, proceeded to tell me for about another five minutes or so. Um, and, well, anyway, if, if you don't know, uh, uh, what they did in the early 60s when the Mets began a couple of years before in the late 50s, the Dodgers left and the Giants left. So there was very much this sense of um, the new owners of the Mets. They really wanted to make this connection to the past these uh, National League teams that had left. So they took the blue from the Dodgers and they took the orange from the Giants. And then the Giant uh, logo, that NY, if you look at an old New York Giant baseball cap, it's exactly like a Met one. It's the same, the same NY. Uh, and they even took pinstripes um, from the Yankees. So it was very much this wanting to make this connection, I guess, uh, with the past. Sort of like you don't, you don't have your present if you're not, we all come from someplace. Um, and that's definitely what this old guy, I could tell he wanted to, he wanted to communicate to me, uh, the meaning and the connection. Well, I think the church wants to do the same thing uh, this weekend in particular. It's, it's kind of a special feast day. It's called uh, Corpus Christi. We celebrate it once a year, the, the body and blood of Christ. And it's really just very, um, it's like a, like 
let's take let's take an entire weekend. The church says, and just talk about the Eucharist, the body and blood of Christ, and what it means, and why is it so important. Um, and if you look at the readings, they're all connected. It's a little bit like I think what that old guy was trying to say to me about the uniforms and the teams. These readings are. You don't have one without the other. It begins with, uh, with Moses and the description of him sacrificing these animals and smearing the blood of the animals on the altar and then taking some of it and sprinkling the blood of these animals on the people. It's all about sacrifice. In the ancient world, um, animal sacrifice was huge. It was, it was like you didn't really have religion without this notion of sacrifice, animal sacrifice um, and the reason for all of that was kind of just to say like we're sorry we sacrifice these animals to God because we're sorry for the for the sins we've committed so take something that's of a value to us like an animal and we give it to the Lord um, I think about it so say, say like you, you you screw up somehow you you do something dumb and you hurt somebody you you say something that you just never should have said, or you drop the ball in some significant way in relation to a person. You just you blew it. Um, isn't there usually like a, almost like this like this desire to I want to make it better. I want to make it right. Like maybe you literally go out and buy them something, or you you treat that person a little bit better. You give a little bit more of yourself because you just you messed it up. You know. And that was the thinking with this animal sacrifice piece. And then the other part of it was just. Um, hey God we love you and we want to express our our worship and fidelity of you and toward you so again we'll take something of take something that's important to us of value to us and we're gonna give it away um, it's all about sacrifice all of these readings they're all connected and they, they lead us to to the Eucharist Look at this second reading from Hebrews that says, When Christ came as high priest, he entered into the sanctuary, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own. So there's like this evolution. Moses, way back in the Old Testament, yeah, it was animal sacrifice. But then we shifted and it became, Jesus was like, no more, no more killing animals to please God. That God doesn't need that. Jesus became the sacrifice. He's like, I give my life for all of you. And then it concludes with the gospel we just heard, this Last Supper, where he now says, take, take this bread and take this wine. It will become, my, it'll become me, my body and blood, and drink it and feed, eat, eat it, eat of it. And when you do that, your hearts will be transformed. Sacrifice will be will be more present or it should be in our lives. So I guess I just maybe tonight ask you to think about that. Like, who are the, well, number one, who are the, who are the most important people in your life? You know, think about that. You know, who are the people that, you know, just you love the most and who are most important to you? And now, now think about the, 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 the question of sacrifice. Like, am I good at it? Is sacrifice like a regular part of the mix in relation to that person and to those people? It's probably more than one person, right? Do I sacrifice for these people? Because if we're not, 
we're just not doing it right. This, this theme would not be all over these readings. It wouldn't be all over our faith. It shifted over, over centuries how we sacrificed, but the notion of putting others before yourself, that has never changed because it's timeless. Remember, uh, I think it was about three years ago, uh, a movie came out. It was a pretty, pretty good movie. It was called A Quiet Place. Some of you may have saw it with... Um, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski. It's sort of like a science fiction movie, um, and I'm not a big sci-fi guy at all. But it's a great, it's a great story. It's about this family, husband, wife. They got these three kids, and they're living in this sort of a post-apocalyptic world, and they're trying to survive. Almost, almost all of humanity has has died. And the reason they've died or they're dying is because these creatures, these monsters, have sort of invaded uh, the planet. And they're interesting, these creatures. They're, um, first of all, they're deadly beyond belief, but they're also blind. They can't see. But they've got this unbelievable sense of hearing. So when they hear you, they find you. And then they kill you. Um, if they don't, if you if you're not heard, they're blind. So if you remain silent, you're actually safe. There's safety in the silence. But as soon as you say a word or a noise of any kind is made, they're there, and you're done. So that's what's happening. People are just dying like mass death, and this family is desperately trying to survive. The oldest child in this family is their daughter, and she's deaf. So because of the fact that she's deaf, they all, they all know sign language. And that's one of the reasons why they're still alive, because they've been able to communicate with each other silently. They're not talking to each other. Now, there's, there's dialogue in the movie, but not a lot. Not a lot. Um, anyway, there's this wild, great scene at the end, very powerful and kind of heartbreaking scene at the end. Uh, they're just trying to survive, and they're avoiding these creatures. And there's this moment where they're outside, and uh, oh, well, the oldest, uh, one of the kids in the course of the movie has, has been killed by one of these creatures. And the daughter who's deaf kind of blames herself. She shouldn't, but she blames herself, and she thinks her father is blaming her too. And she's struggling with this throughout the movie. And the father knows it, and it's untrue. He, he's not blaming her, but she's, she's taking this on. Anyway, there's this moment where the two of these kids, the two remaining kids, they're hiding in this pickup truck. Like, say it's over here, and over here is the father. And in between them is one of these creatures. So nobody's moving. It's like, if you move, you're dead. So then the father looks over in this moment, the father looks over at the daughter, or the two kids, and he signs to the, especially to the, to the one who had the doubts, he signs to her, um, I love you, and, I, and I've always loved you. And she kind of responds, I forget what she says, but as soon as he signs that he loves her, he looks in the direction of these, one of the, this creature, this monster, and he screams, intentionally screams and makes noise. And this monster, which before that moment couldn't find either any of them, he now, know, he now knows where the father is because he made the noise. And he kills him. 
And in the course of him being killed, the two kids escape, and they make their way to safety, and they survive. Um, so he sacrifices his life for his kids. Um, it's the story of our faith. <laughs> That's sort of like a parable for what we believe and why we're here tonight. It's all about sacrifice. I was reading this uh, article uh, last week, right around Memorial Day, and it was uh, I was talking about the World War II and the days right prior to uh, D-Day. And uh, the generals Eisenhower and all the Allied generals were planning this invasion. The weather was a factor. and Some expert came in and they said that, uh, first of all, well, they knew this, that there's no way we were going to win it with just a, a, like a, a, an invasion from the sea. We had to do that, but that alone wasn't going wasn't to win this. Like, we had to come from the sky and we had to drop troops inland or we weren't going to win it. Even then, we, weren't, we didn't know we were going to win it. So it was all about these paratroopers. And the experts came in and told Eisenhower that 75% of the paratroopers are going to die. Like, you drop these guys into this enemy territory, three out of four are going to die. Like, they just, they knew it. And they did it. Like they, sac they sacrifice these paratroopers for us, for here, for tonight, for now, for this moment. Those n nameless and faceless, I mean, three out of four. Let's, let's take, you know, if we count it off, one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four. Take three out of each four, group of four, those three die so that we could be here tonight. Listen to this quote. This is from uh, Pope John Paul II, Saint John Paul II. There's no place for selfishness and no place for fear. So when love makes demands, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid when love requires sacrifice. Don't be afraid when love requires sacrifice. Pursue the sacrifice. So you have like an elderly parent who you just really need to see more than you do. I mean, you get there, but you don't get there as often as you should. And somebody says to you, well, why don't you go see your, your mom more than you do? And you say, well, I just don't get anything out of it. <laughs> I mean, how gross would that be? You don't get anything out of it, so you're not going to go see your aging mom or dad? Or you're not so good with spending time with your kids, like working, helping them with homeworks, pain in the neck. So you just sort of dodge it. 
or being at the games gets kind of old, so you just sort of kind of come up with excuses not to be there. And somebody says to you, well, why, 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 do you, why, do you, why don't you show up? Well, I just don't really get anything out of it. <laughs> I mean, who, who would want to be those people? I don't get anything out of it. It's not about getting anything out of it. It's not about what we get. It's about what we give. Well, I just don't go to church anymore. You ask somebody, how come, how come you don't, like you used to go to church. How come you don't go to church anymore? I just don't get anything out of it. We don't come to church to get something. We go to church to give something. You know, honestly, sometimes I'm, I'm conflicted about this mass out here, and I love it. I love it. Sometimes I wonder, like, you know, because it's people for the obvious reasons. How do you not love it? Look at this setting on a night like tonight. Music and just, it's like all these pieces come together. It's so, it's so great. We do get a lot out of being here, don't we? But that's like, that's like should be icing on the cake. It shouldn't be I go to, I go, I go to church to just get something out of it. I go to give because I want to sacrifice. God, I don't want to be those people that I just described. The people who neglect their parents or their kids. I don't want to be selfish. I want to be selfless. I want to be a person of sacrifice. And here, I think, is one of the scary things about today. Like I said before, religion and sacrifice were kind of inseparable forever. People have separated sacrifice from religion. Like we don't think of, we don't think of like, no, I, I need to be a person who, who sacrifices. And when I come here, I get fed. This is the fuel that leads me to be a person of sacrifice. I was talking to a friend of mine about, you know, yeah, I, 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 this is what I want to talk about tonight, sacrifice. And he, he said to me, uh, told me a story about when he was a kid. He used to be a caddy at a golf country club, golf course. And he said that uh, when he was a kid, he was like 14, 15, he, um, Sunday mornings he would work, he'd caddy, and he had kind of a routine. He'd go to the early mass, like 7 a.m. mass. And then he had uh, two bucks on him. And he'd go to this deli and he'd get a bagel and a, and a orange juice or whatever. And then he'd make his way to the golf course. Anyway, one day he's at Mass, and the priest is a visitor priest. He's a missionary guy from the missions, and he's talking about the missions and the need to give because there's people in need. And he's th he knows he's got these two bucks in his pocket. pocket, And he's thinking, God, I, I, I want my bagel. And he's walking out and kind of hoping to avoid <laughs> the priest and he, he really can't he sees him at the end and I guess they had a, a basket at the door and he throws the two bucks in the basket and he went without his breakfast and he goes to work and the guy he caddies for hits a hole in one <laughs> and because he got the hole in one he said that he got the best tip he's ever gotten he got like three times what he normally got for a loop 
for caddying. And he was like, I don't know, there's something to this sacrifice thing. So what are you saying, Father? If I look like that's going to happen, if I if I sacrifice, you know, I'm going to uh, things like that are going to happen. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Just look at life. Look at the people who sacrifice. Look at the people that you love. Look at the people who you respect the most. Their life is like surrounded in a spirit of sacrifice. And that's why we love them. So yeah, that does happen. Literally, hole in one, two dollars in the, no, no, not literally it doesn't happen, but it happens. Those who sacrifice win. <laughs>